Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say... Goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Hello, welcome. It's 2023, but you can still visit our website, Forever 35 Podcast, for links to everything we mentioned on the show. You can find us on Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast, and you can join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. And you can shop our favorite products at shopmy.us slash Forever 35. We do have a newsletter at Forever 35 Podcast.com slash newsletter. And you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can always email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. And hey, you know what? It's a new year. I'm going to put a request out. If you like the show, go ahead and leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend or mention us on social media. 
those things I love that Kate. help this podcast find an audience. And believe it or not, we still like to find an audience. We do. We do still like to find an audience. So, you know what people talk about? Well, if if you haven't written a book, you might not know this, but people talk about like hand selling books. Okay. Like it's like if a like if you go into a bookstore and you talk to the person who works there and you're like, "I'm looking for a mystery about a woman in a small town. You know what I mean? Like you'd like describe what you're looking for. And then the bookseller is like, oh, you want blah, blah, blah. Yes, like that's hand that selling. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like sometimes I will hand sell like, and I know you do this too. Like, don't you feel like you hand sell the podcast? Yes, I do. And it's strange so, too sometimes because I'm like, it's about self-care, but it's not. And it's about skincare, but it's not. It's also about all these other things. And you're going to learn a lot uh, about us. Yeah. So, you know, if you're listening and you want to start hand selling our podcast, please oh, we do. appreciate that. Uh, we would I really also, appreciate that. I also just want to note that we are going to be celebrating our five-year anniversary of this podcast, and we'll be sharing listener thoughts, memories, feedback about the show on an upcoming episode. So if you have something you would like to share about a moment, about a thing we said, about an absurd conversation that kept going for months and months, we would love to hear from you. You can text us, leave us a voicemail, send us a voice memo, email us at any of the places we mentioned earlier, and we will be sharing those on an upcoming episode. And, you know, if, like, the podcast has changed your life, we want to hear yeah. that, too. Did we somehow introduce you to your spouse? I mean, or, like, did we or, you know, one of our Facebook groups, like, help you get a new job or, you know, anything like that? We want to hear about it. If we've, like, ruined your lives... I don't like, I mean, we probably don't want to hear that. So. Oh, we don't. I mean, that might be good feedback. Don't hesitate to to gently let us know. <laughs> Hopefully we haven't. Hopefully we've just been hearing your Hopefully earbuds tootling along for the last five years. Oh my gosh. Just toot, toot, tootling along. You know what? It never ends, Dory. I feel like it never ends my, my escapades into skincare. And I've been trying new products and it just, it just, it's never going to stop. And I'm trying fancy products I was sent and I, I have feelings. Okay, Kate, look at you. You know, we had a really interesting conversation in late 2022 with former beauty editor Valerie Monroe and um, one, she's in her seventies, two, she really feels strongly that drugstore beauty products are like, you know, like that basically beauty is marketing, right? So that really stuck with me. And I've been making making a concerted effort to just kind of streamline and also consciously consider like when I'm being taken for a ride in terms mm. of capitalism and marketing and the role that I'm playing in it when it comes to my beauty products. But I will also share that I am a flawed human and I was sent some fancy beauty products and I've been using them. Okay. I think it's okay. an important caveat to note that I was gifted these items because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't 
spend this much money on them. And so I'm having this kind of like weird complex relationship to these items because they're, I'm very, I'm very much enjoying it, but like, I'm not going to be able to buy them again. So, Mm. but I will say the prods are nice, but are the prods nice? Because I think they're nice because of the price tag, Dory. This is the game that capitalism plays with me. Mm. go on okay but look if you're just here for product reviews here's the deal i'm tr- I'm trying out suawasu's products they sent me four items they're korean skincare line um they're i believe they've been around for a long time they're kind of a well-known luxury skincare line and i've been using their gentle cleansing oil their first care activating serum which is essentially like the first step serum that's hydrating and also allegedly is like the you know like platform upon which the rest of your products are built you know like this kind of like this serum juices your skin up to be ready for everybody else then i'm using their concentrated uh ginseng renewing serum and then their concentrated ginseng renewing cream. Mm. Everything about it is lovely. I love how it all feels. I love how it smells. I haven't been using anything else just to kind of, you know, when I'm gifted products, I like to try to just, you know, try them and see without bringing in my other skincare friends. And I don't know, these Sulwa Su products they're pretty nice. My skin has like a dewy glow vibe to it. Okay. I was going to ask, you've been raving about these, but like, what is it that there is, you feel? Here's so what I'm liking. Okay. And then I will say, I did throw one other product into the mix. An old friend, the A313 Vitamin A Retinol Cream from France. The French pharmacy stuff that I've talked about before. Yes. Okay. My skin has been getting really dry from Tret and from retinol, like just I, I really dry. And so I haven't been using any sort of retinol product, but then I was like, maybe I should throw some, one thing into the mix. Mm. Why not this old baby that's been sitting in my drawer? So I did put that on one night. Otherwise, I've just been using the Sulwasu stuff. I feel, and I could be not seeing things correctly, I feel like my skin has a nice kind of dewy glow from these products. Okay. I mean, you do look glowy, but I'm also looking at you through a computer screen. That's right. I also will say a dewy glow does nothing for the world or for me. Like there's nothing, like nothing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, okay, that's the result. What impact does that have on anybody or anything? Nothing. But I like it. Okay. I mean, that's fine. You don't, you don't have to tie yourself in knots justifying your, your like of these products, Kate. I know, <laughs> but I do feel like I can't now shake the, like the constant self reflection and critique anytime i i use anything or do anything i feel like i'm a little i've a little bit like catch 22'd myself right well you know i think that every all of these systems are worth interrogating 
And I think we do interrogate them. And sometimes it's okay to just like shut that off a little bit or like turn the volume down. All right. Well, I'll turn it down as I use this this stuff and then I will bid farewell to it with a a tear or two and (laughs) get back to my regular products. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for those reviews. Um, Kate, I am just, you know, using the same prods that I've been using before, but I did want to report that I think I'm going to rebuy a prod that was gifted to me. Would you like to guess guess off the top of my I'm trying to (laughs) guess. I'm sitting here and I'm like, what is it? Something she got something. She likes it. Is it a skincare product? Yes. Okay, it's a skincare product. Face wash. I don't really know what you've been washing your face with lately. I'm assuming you're still using your CoQ10. You're still using a retinol. Is it a toner? Mm-hmm. Stop. Is it? Am I am I on the right path? It's a toner? Mm-hmm. You're on the right path. Oh, my God. Okay. It's a toner. But it's not a spray toner. It's a toner you dab on your skin. Mm-hmm. I'm right that. I'm right also. Wow. Okay. I don't know. All right. Okay. I'll tell, tell you. It is the Clog Hydra Shield <gasps> Anti-Pollution Jelly Toner. Wow. Wait a second. Have you used mm-hmm. this all up? Uh, it's almost gone. Stop. It is almost gone. Yeah. And I'm going to rebuy it. Wow. Okay. What is it about this product yeah. that you like? This is big for you. This is big for me. I like that. I like how easy it is to put on. Okay. So describe. It just please. kind of glides. It glides right on. It's a. It's like a gel, but it's not sticky or tacky. It, your skin absorbs it really nicely. I feel like it's a good base for putting other products on. I'm this just, is the... I'm like really into it. This is the Hydra Shield Anti-Pollution Jelly Toner. Yes. Okay. Just confirming because I have this in my medicine cabinet and I maybe I'm going to circle back. Um, it costs $9.80. You can, it's Soko Glam's like in-house line, the clog that is with a K. Um, and yeah, I think it's great. So, you know, if you like me have been historically toner skeptical, I would say give this one a try. It's not expensive. And yeah, I think it's great. The other thing that I have been using that I also really like is the sunscreen from Hero Cosmetics. I know nothing of this. Who are okay. they? Who's Hero's Cos? Who's Hero Cosmetics? Hero are known are best known for their pimple patches. Oh, but they also make a really good sunscreen called the Super Light Sunscreen SPF 30. And they promote it as uh, a sunscreen for acne-prone skin. I think anyone can use it. I I really like it, probably because it is made for acne-prone skin. It's very light. Mm-hmm. Again, goes on really nicely. And I feel like it stays on really well. I... Usually I wear it when I play tennis. 
Oh. And I feel like it does stay on. And today I used a different sunscreen. I used one of my old favorites, the Biore Watery Essence, and I feel like it didn't work as well. So I'm going back well, to Hero. This is this is also interesting because you were on a big hunt for a sunscreen you could sweat in. So have you? Th- is this kind yes. of one you'd recommend? I, I think this is one I would recommend. It's also it's it's a mineral sunscreen. I should mention also. Oh, um, that's a twist. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. It's a twist, right? So, yeah, I really, I do, I recommend this. Okay, and that's, you can get it at Target, I see here. You can get it at Target, that's right. There's also um, a Hero Cosmetics website, excuse me, that you can order it from. Well, look at this. Coming in hot with new prods in 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, our guest today has pretty much nothing to do with prods. No, but our guest today has everything to do with this pod. Yes, and the means of production. We're working really bad? hard to get. That was I, bad. I, I, oh no! I I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have it. <laughs> okay, thank we, you. So we are talking today with Heather Radke, and many of you have sent us a link to Heather's new book, her first book, which is called Butts, A Backstory. Uh, It was released in November. Um, And let us tell you a little bit about Heather. She is a contributing editor and reporter at Radiolab, which you know, we all know, we love Radiolab. It's the Peabody Award-winning podcast from WNYC. She also writes essays, criticism, and reported pieces for the Paris Review Daily, The Believer, Guernica, Topic, Long Reads, The White Review, and others. She has an MFA in nonfiction from Columbia University, where she also teaches creative writing. And she founded the Incarcerated Writers Initiative at Columbia and continues to serve as an advisor there. And in case you haven't gathered from the name of her book, which if you give it a Google, you will see the cover is just a giant peach emoji. Her book is essentially an incredible kind of history and backstory about the cultural significance of the butt. And it's Mm -hmm. an excellent, excellent read. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be sharing our incredibly interesting conversation with Heather all about butts. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer, just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology 
that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite honey love piece. Let me, let me just tell you why. Yeah. Get into it. Do you want to tell me why? No, no. I was just (laughs) going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes. That's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, This is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with glorious dynam it can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio it can be learning to cook indian food or designing a space that you love masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors so whether you want to master like negotiation with chris voss or think like a boss with martha stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with petra collins Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. 
And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from thirty dollars. You got washable silk tops really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever 35. Heather, welcome to Forever 35. Uh, It's great to have you here because in the course of the five years of the show, we've had a lot of conversations about butts. So many so that people have sent us links to your book, including I think a friend of yours who was like, yeah, they were like, you've got to have Heather on to talk about her book. So we're very, very excited to have you on the show um, because you have written a book literally called Butts, A Backstory. That's fantastic. Um, But before we talk all about our butts uh, and the history of butts and all the issues that come along with them, um, we like to kick off every interview asking our guests about a self-care practice that is meaningful in their own lives. So is there one that <laughs> you might be able to share with us that you are currently practicing, no matter how big or small? Well, um, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I should have maybe anticipated this question. I, I'm i in a sort of funny moment in my life because I have a five and a half month old and the idea of a self-care practice. Um, it's hilarious, like, right? I drank. I drank a glass of water earlier today and I I've been thinking a lot about the need to stretch because I am, Mm. you know, the thing about having a baby as you guys know is that they get slowly bigger and like all of a sudden I'm like, get these weird pains because I'm hauling around 16 pounds instead of eight pounds in a weird way. And last night I successfully did like three stretches before I went to bed and I, I was very pleased with that self-care practice. Ooh, I love that. As I, someone whose three and a half year old is still in a crib, and <laughs> the other day I was like, "The lifting." Oh, this is this is getting <laughs> it's getting a little challenging, <laughs> lifting him in and out. Um, so I really, 
I I appreciate that. And as also as someone whose bones are getting older and creakier, that is something that like I need to incorporate into my day-to-day life that I just just don't. I just don't do yeah, it. But do you ever think about this, like how they've been telling us to lift weights for all these years for our bones, but then it's like you get a kid and you're like, Oh, I'm doing it. I did the, I did the weightlifting. This is, this is very true. <laughs> this is very true. And my, my son, I mean, I don't know exactly how much he weighs right now, but it's gotta be close to 40 pounds. So, I mean, I could just Look bench press him. <laughs> just put him over your head. <laughs> yeah, do some exactly. squats with him. Yeah. But, well, I do remember, oh gosh, I don't want to get us on too much of a tangent, but I do remember those days of like the early baby days when they wouldn't nap and you're like, you're literally bouncing them up and down and doing the squats. That bouncy ball. I can see it from here. The bouncy uh, ball. Oh, the bouncy ball. <laughs> I'd okay, love to know sorry, what day is the proceed. last day on that bouncy ball. <laughs> anyway, we right? digress. Well, I, I was going to say, like, I do think the physical toll of parenting is not discussed, whether or not you give birth vaginally or if you come into parenting through foster or adoption. However, you come into parenting a child, it's physically grueling. And many of us are, our jobs are sedentary. So all of a sudden, we're doing this like actual, really challenging physical labor on no sleep. And it it really takes a toll on our bodies, especially our, you know, for some of us, middle-aged bodies. Totally. I mean, seriously, the yoga ball, like, if there's one piece of parenting advice I would have for people, it's like, do some practice rounds on that yoga ball. Get your back yeah, just, real strong. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that deeply. And I also like what you said about just doing a few stretches because I've been trying to do yoga every day in the last month for the similar reason of just like body aches and pains. And I often get ahead of myself of like, if I don't do it for this long, it doesn't count. But I think there's such a, it truly only takes like one or two minutes of doing something to make our bodies feel infinitely better. And so I appreciate that reminder. Yeah. I mean, I've only done it one day, so maybe let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but we're giving it to you. It's a practice now. It's (laughs) You did it once. It counts, Heather. Um, so I, I wanted to just start, and uh, Dory, I hope it's okay with you to kick off with a quote from your book, um, because I just feel like you really summed up so much in just this one line, which you you wrote on page two of Butts. Women's butts have been used as a means to create and reinforce racial hierarchies, as a barometer for the virtues of hard work, and as a measure of sexual desire and availability. Uh, and you also say that the size of a woman's butt has long been perceived and excuse me, has long been a perceived indicator of her very nature, her morality, her femininity, and even her humanity. And uh, that just hit me immediately upon opening your book. Um, so I would love to start there and kind of ask how this uh, curiosity or interest began in researching um, butts because they are so much more than just a a body part. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think the kind of primordial moments of, of this project were when I was a teenager and, um, or maybe even before that I, so I have a big ish, butt, and my mom has a big ish, butt. and, um, when I was in high school, I started to feel 
like a little bit of shame about it because it was the 90s, like the early 90s. Well, no, it was like the mid 90s. Let's let's be accurate. Um, I grew up in a pretty white suburb of Lansing, Michigan, and the kind of ideal body in that place at that time was kind of like Kate Moss body. And I got, you know, pretty like kind of low level teased about my big butt when I was in high school. And it just became the part of my body that I started to feel shame about and what I call like mundane shame. Like it's not, which is I think a kind of shame we all can carry about our bodies, like something you kind of notice about yourself that bugs you, but maybe actually most people wouldn't even think too much about. Um, And then over the next 20 years, the ideal body shape actually changed and the kind of body I had became more in style for lack of a better word. And I got, as a writer, I got kind of interested in that idea of like how a body type comes in and out of fashion because it seems really bizarre. And then also just like I started to interview a lot of different women, including my mom. And I realized that like what butts mean to different people, their like their people's own relationships with their butts is so vastly different. And that this part of our body carries just like a tremendous amount of symbolic meaning. And I mean, maybe that's like relatively obvious, but when I really started to like have, I did a bunch of oral histories for this book in like the early stages of research, I started to realize like lots of people have lots of different ideas about what an ideal butt is and what what their own butt kind of represents. And I wanted to explore the kind of like different symbolism inherent in this body part. Um, well, there's a lot of symbolism. <laughs> Um, could we, could we kind of, without, you know, I'm not asking you to like summarize your entire book, but, um, you do do a very comprehensive overview of the history of, I guess, a lot of how white people have viewed butts. Um, and if you could just kind of start with maybe Sarah Bartman and telling us how she sort of has set the tone for uh, the the ways that people think about especially Black women's butts. Yeah. Um, So Sarah Bartman was a woman who was brought up from South Africa. She was an Indigenous South African woman. She was brought up from South Africa by two men in the early 19th century to London, where they displayed her as part of a freak show because she had a big butt. And it was kind of a way of kind of, I mean, they, the stereotype already existed, but they, the, they were really sort of reinforcing and I don't know, kind of publicizing essentially a stereotype of African women from this particular tribe as big butted, as hypersexual and there are several other parts of the stereotype including like that they smoke pipes that's like another part um so they had they displayed her on stage in a pretty cruel and you know sort of horrifying performance and eventually there was a very famous trial which is one of the reasons we know quite a bit about Sarah Bartman about whether the question of the trial was whether or not she was enslaved or free and the because at that time slavery had just kind of become illegal in uh the united kingdom england um and then she they decided that she was free and then she went to different parts of england and eventually ended up in paris where 
she died. And when she died, her body was dissected by a very famous French scientist named George Cuvier, who used that autopsy as part of um, his, you know, he was part of this kind of like so-called racial science of the 19th century, where he was trying to prove that black people, African people were not fully human and European people of European de- descent were um, more human than African people. So he used this autopsy report as supposed proof of that. And he also, it's a, that autopsy report is, is cited throughout the 19th and 20th century um, as evidence of the like one specific meaning of big butts, which is that big butts are mean that a woman is hypersexual. And it's, it's very often that the big butted woman in question is a black woman. So it's like it created the stereotype of like the big butted hypersexual woman or really didn't create it, but in some sense, like codified it, it, you know, Mm -hmm. he like wrote it down and it became this document that people cited. And then, you know, Sarah Bartman actually Cuvier displayed her body in his museum in Paris and it stayed on display in a variety of museums in Paris until the 1980s. So although that history can seem very old, it really, you know, it stays with us both through these stereotypes that definitely are still with us today. And also, you know, just within my lifetime, you could go see Sarah Bartman's remains in a museum in Paris. Mm. Ugh. Yeah, it's a very sad, I mean, it's a very grim story. And I think, but I think it's like, it's a, you know, I think it's, and it's one like, like lots of people know this story. I certainly didn't uncover it or anything, but I think it, when we think about butts, like there's this, the, I think the first thing we, you know, I've been saying butts to people for five years and emails and phone calls and stuff. And, you know, it's funny, of course, like butts are funny, but they also, you know, carry a tremendous amount of racial meaning, gender meaning, and, you know, can be like pretty, you know, deadly serious in a lot of ways too. Yeah, you talk about that and and you you do set up this conversation of like we have no real good word for this body part and it's interesting because that does almost create this disconnect of the actual serious ways in which like butt culture butt obsession has played out uh over the last, you know, hundreds of years, especially especially in racial appropriation and 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 ways and misogyny in so many different ways. So it's kind of interesting. I almost am curious, do you think that's on purpose? Which part? The like, that we don't have a right, like a correct. Yeah. Name? Like is there is there a little bit of that? Like in if we aren't able to discuss it seriously, does that prevent us from having these deeper conversations, which obviously you're nurturing and encouraging? Yeah, totally. I mean, I I don't think it's on purpose, like it's conscious, but I think it's much more interesting that it's unconscious. Like, I think Mm. it tells us something that we don't have a proper name for it. Like even breasts, like we call them breasts. If you go to the doctor, you like get a breast exam. But we don't, you know, I I talked to a few different doctors about this, because I was like, well, you know, like, you're like, a whatever, like a colorectal surgeon, like, what do you call it? And they all have like cutesy names for it, too. Because nobody has this kind of like, um, you know, like correct term. Now, some people will kind of get after me and be like, no, it's buttocks. But like, when was the last time anybody said buttocks to anybody? You know, it's like, maybe like, exercise teacher would say it or something. But like, it would, I would, at least I would feel pretty funny saying that to like, 
like, hey, do my buttocks look big in these pants? Like, no, that's a very weird thing to say, at least to me. Do you guys have a word that you use? Well, I was just thinking about it because, you know, one of the big things I think in like raising kids right now is like teaching them the correct words for you know, vagina and vulva and penis. And, you know, if someone, it's like a big thing, if, you know, combating sexual abuse, like if, if someone tries to give your vulva like a special name, that's a, you know, that's a warning sign, all this stuff, whatever, we don't have to get into it, but there's no like real word for the butt, (laughs) you know? So it's like, okay, we're just going to call it the butt because that's like, that's what it is. So I was just I was just kind of thinking about that when I was reading and I when you were writing about all the different doctors you talked to and how like some of them just called it like the rear at you know your bottom and I was like oh that is so fun. like I never really thought about that but it's I don't know. It's 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 funny to think about. Um but yes, we just call it the butt. I mean, you know, my son is still kind of figuring all this stuff out and even though I have told him the accurate anatomical words. He will still often say things like, you know, refer to the whole region as his butt or, Uh, you know, there's, there's just like a lot of, (laughs) um, the butt can mean many things. He once asked me why I was putting a tampon in my butt. Mm. (laughs) My kids called, my kids called the <laughs> like the vaginal area front butts for a hot second because they, mm, they yes. do with like front butts. Front butts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not, yeah. But, yeah, I get that. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Heather, can we talk a little bit about um, what kind of research went into this? Because Dory mentioned you have interviews with doctors. I mean, you talked to so many people. Um, and I know you've been working on this for a while, but what were kind of the different ways in which you got into this topic? Yeah, so I yeah, so early on in the the research I I wanted to talk to like I said different people. It, the book is is not about all butts first of all. It's about women's butts or sort of like women identified butts, I guess I would say too. Um so I talked to people who identify as women and non-binary people about about their butts from different age groups, different racial backgrounds, different, you know, geographical backgrounds. Although the book is mainly about um, the US and Western Europe, because early on, I really realized that like, this is actually like, some people are like, how can you write a whole book about it? It's like, how could like, you could write like 12 books about it, there's so much you could else you could say. So it's like, I had this thing where I really wanted to be called a backstory and not the backstory, because I really wanted mm. to just be clear that like, this was only one way you could tell this story. So those oral histories were kind of foundational research to help me figure out different directions the book could go in. And then I used all kinds of different research methods. You know, I did kind of reportage, like interviews with like where I would go and actually report on stuff. And this was before the pandemic. So I like went and did this. um, I went and saw this race in Arizona where humans run against horses, which is like a a way to explore the the use of the muscles of the butt. Or um, I went to France and went to Cuvier's museum to see where Sarah Bartman's remains had been displayed. Then I also did interviews with all kinds of different people like Greg Smithy, who invented buns of steel and like um, these two guys who run a, a place called planet pepper where they make butt pads for drag Queens. But then I also like went and visited them at their, so I, at their 
uh, studio where they make those butt pads and saw how they got made. So I did like kind of reporterly things. And then I also did a lot of historical research where I, you know, looked in archives and I found, you know, I talked to many archivists and talked to lots and lots of historians and cultural studies scholars and read a ton of books and um, kind of just used every possible mode of research I could think of to kind of approach the topic from as many angles as I could. And then I also like include some of my own story in there too. So there's a, a thread of memoir as well. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, we are back. I was hoping we could talk a little bit about cultural appropriation, um, which you know we touched on a little bit with the Sarah Barton um, discussion. But later in the book, you 
I think in the chapter on JLo, um, you talk about appropriate white, white people's appropriation of black culture specifically as it relates to butts. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of examples, um, JLo being an interesting example because she's Latina. And so, you know, not white, not black, able to kind of straddle these cultures, I guess. No, no pun intended. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then Kim Kardashian, who also likewise, you know, is white, but is half Armenian and, you know, getting into all the sort of like complications with her own racial identity. Anyway. Um, yeah. So could you, could you talk yeah. a little bit about that and how that, how appropriation has been sort of a through line um, when it comes to butts? Yeah, for sure. So it was definitely like, obviously, from the very beginning, I was super interested in the question of the way that the butt had become this very racialized part of our bodies. And um, as a white woman, I also was really interested in the question of the way white women have appropriated, essentially, the stereotype of, of, of black women's bodies. and. Mm one of the very first pieces of research I did was actually about the bustle, which is, you know, if you're not familiar, it's a 19th century undergarment that basically makes your butt look huge. And there was this kind of like historical rumor I saw in a couple of different places that suggested that the bustle was kind of, it, it maybe it wasn't one-to-one, -one, but that something was going on with the bustle as a kind of appropriation of Sarah Bartman's body because they, when you see Sarah Bartman, the, there was these famous cartoons of her in silhouette, and then you see a, a uh, an image of a woman in a bustle at the end of the 19th century. There's a real visual echo between those two um, images, and so I started to look into this question of like, was the bustle in a sense a mode of of cultural appropriation in the 19th century? And it's you know it's it's a complicated question it's kind of an unanswerable question in some ways but it seems to me that there clearly was some kind of relationship and that the um the way that the bustle kind of functioned which was this you know it's like you could literally like put it on and take it off like that actually became mm. kind of an important metaphor for how i understood cultural appropriation of black bodies and the way specifically white women cultural you know appropriate black women's bodies, it became like an important way for me to think about it throughout the books. Because, you know, I think this gesture of like, I'll take it when I want it and get rid of it when I don't is something you yeah. just see again and again in appropriation. And I think it really speaks to the, the deeply problematic nature of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's what, you know, cultural critic Greg Tate, he called he wrote a book called Everything But the Burden. And it's really we sort of see, see that in the bustle, but then you see it Again, I mean, I think that maybe the most potent example of it is Miley Cyrus in 2013 at the VMAs, where she's, you know, she goes on stage and she twerks and she like actually mm -hmm. goes on tour and has like a fake butt that she's like shimmying around and on tour with. And then, you know, months, not, not even a year later, she's, you know, changed her image entirely and is is no longer interested in what she was getting from appropriating this this right. form of black femininity and it's like all of a sudden it's like she's like Joan Baez Laurel Canyon lady and I mean and I think in the Miley Cyrus story we sort of see what what white women get from culturally appropriating this mm. stereotype which is that 
you know, she was, Miley Cyrus was coming up out of this Hannah Montana time in her life where she was seen as young and innocent. And all of a sudden she's 20 years old and she wants to show the world that she's like a sexy young lady who's like more than just Hannah Montana. And so she, she uses the stereotype to, and she uses twerk as like a way to do that. And then she discards it when it no longer is necessary right. for her. So that's the same thing we see over and over again. Now, JLo and Kim Kardashian, I think are, I mean, Kim Kardashian is actually quite similar. She's very savvy about her use of, you know, black femininity and, you know, essentially stereotypes of black women's bodies. Um, and she was also obviously very savvy in her use of social media. But the JLo moment is a really interesting one because, I mean, I think it's easy to think that the, you know, this like, wave of um, mainstream acceptance of big butts or interest in big butts happens at the end of the 2000s with the with Kim Kardashian. But actually, like, it's not even me, like historians who write about the stuff they call JLo the crossover butt, because Mm -hmm. in 1997, there's this like kind of amazing moment where if you like read a bunch of you know, entertainment weeklies and people magazines and, you know, uh, 17 and any, any kind of kind of fashion, e tabloidy magazines before 1997, it's like, they can't even say the word, but they say derriere and they like give you all this advice about how to make your butt smaller. And then all of a sudden JLo's in out of sight. And it's like all of these interviewers, they just can't, they, they just ask her these kind of totally nutty mm-hmm. questions. Like, so what's up with your butt? Like, they're just sort of like, oh, my God, women have butts. And and then the, the discourse kind of really starts to change um, about what, a, you know, like what constitutes a good butt. Um, so there's this kind of important moment in the in the late 90s where the main, mainstream beauty ideals really start to shift. And this I this it's kind you know it's it is a kind of appropriation i think but it's a it's slightly it works like a little differently because yeah it's it's a little bit more about the rise of hip hop and the hip hop music video as a as a form which was a very popular you know by the early 2000s a lot of music scholars say that hip hop becomes the dominant kind of music in the US and uh you know the one of the main demographics for hip hop records if not possibly the biggest demographic who is consuming hip hop in the 90s was white men. So the kind of idea of what is attractive and what an attractive body was started to be gleaned from hip hop Mm -hmm. music videos as much as any place else. You just reminded me or made me think of two things. One is that I had forgotten that in the early aughts, I pitched an essay about like the rise of the butt based on JLo and no one wanted it. <laughs> so, you were right. Um, you were right. I was right. I feel very vindicated. Um, as you know, a white woman with like no butt, I, I felt alienated from the cultural moment, which, you know, who cares? But like, <laughs> I, I remember feeling like, oh, butts. Okay. Um, the second thing that I'm thinking about is like, like you said, like Miley and these other white women, like they can choose to participate when they want to. And when the fad changes or it no longer serves them, like they can take out the butt pads. They can like, they can just move on. And for people for whom this is like their actual body, 
they cannot, they do not have that privilege of doing that. So I think it kind of once again highlights the ways in which white people like to kind of dip in and out of black culture and other cultures when it serves them and fly away like when when it doesn't. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like it just, I mean, I, I even think it's like a way that you can, it's like an ultimate perform. It's like reinforces your whiteness actually, because totally you, know, you, you see this even in like, I mean the his like in, the way that people talk about um, music, like with Elvis, for example, like people who know way more about Elvis than I do, like they talk about how, you know, he's, he's be he's like showing just how white he is by putting himself in juxtaposition with black music and black bodies and sort of saying like, look, I can do all this stuff and no one even like they let me, you know, that there's a kind of way that like you're even, more white you're sort of showing just how white you are by through these acts of appropriation both the sort of putting on and the taking off can we talk a little bit about that in the context of body image and diet culture and how butts are connected there i mean you you write write about aerobics which was so fascinating and i think you know dory and i as both as gen x women you know we kind of went have seen this, like the, you talk about Kate Moss and then the shift into, you know, the kind of what is the quote unquote, like hot body now. And just noticing that right now, and you mentioned this, like Kim Kardashian is rumored to take out her Brazilian butt lift. And there's this whole kind of, um, celebrities are all using Ozempic and everybody's thin is now quote in. I mean, this is not what I believe. I'm just repeating terrible headlines, but how what is the connection here between butts diet culture beauty culture even in in fashion culture too which is another thing you you talk about yeah i mean well there's like so much there i mean the I know. The, the thin is in thing is the thing i get asked about a lot um and it's interesting because i think it actually just shows us like how arbit- like well it's not arbitrary it's that it's more like how how any of these discussions about like a body being in fashion, it's, it's a mode of control that's conscious and unconscious that's being exerted on us by the fashion, the garment industry, the, you know, like social media, all the stuff we know. And that's like a relatively obvious thing to say, but it's, it's worth saying because I think one of the things I ended up seeing over and over again was just that how many different modes of control there are over our bodies and um, just how long that history is. You know, I think, one, there's this kind of um, idea that I think a lot of people have about the 20s, for example, that like the flappers like take off their corsets and they're so free. But there's a fashion historian, Valerie Steele, who talks about how actually what happens in the 20s is uh, bathroom scales are invented, diet, mm-hmm. fad diets come in for the first time, plastic surgery is invented. And Valerie Steele talks about how it's like the corset is going from outside of your body to inside of your body. Like you actually be, mm. have to like become the corset because Oof. in some ways, I mean, the course, like, Yikes. I mean, I don't wish a corset on anybody, but in a way it's easier than police, you know, having like the Foucauldian state in your mind, policing yourself about every morsel of food that comes into your body. And then, you know, we see this throughout the, you know, the next hundred years, I think, to me, I think it's pretty clear that 
in the 20s, this idea of like what they called then the rectangle woman comes in and more or less mm. doesn't go out of style. I mean, even though there's these moments like, you know, in the 2010s where, yeah, you can have a big butt, but it has to be a big butt on a skinny body. You can only have right. a certain kind of, it's still, it's not like we're free or something. Right. And right. As, as much as I'm so glad and supportive that there's like, you know, there's been an interest in body positivity and um, over the last you know, 15 years in a way that there certainly had never been before. Of course, of course, thin is back in like I never, you know, first of all, never went out, but it's, it's just how it, it kind of has to work. It's so it's so deeply baked into the fashion industry. But then, you know, I think it's important to say that, like, like you said, I did all this research on aerobics. And it was so fun in a lot of ways. And I met these women who were part of this kind of um, response to the aerobics movement in the 80s. They were fat fitness kind of activists in the Bay Area. And they started aerobics classes for self-identified fat women. And, you know, it was a way for them to like find freedom in movement. Like, you know, I think as one of them said to me, like, you don't have to move your body, but you have a right to. And they found ways to like, they found kind of liberation in a place where a lot of people had found a lot of constraint. And I think that that's important to talk about too, because you know, it's easy when we talk about bodies and body image and kind of, I you know, body or beauty ideals to be like, it's just this like litany of horrors where, you know, nothing ever, you know, we never, there's no way out. But it's also cool to find people who have found little ways out and have found ways to like, you know, liberation even inside of these kind of structures of control. I love that. That that makes me feel hopeful as opposed to the kind of constant feeling I always have of just like, there's no way out of this nightmare. <laughs> like it's so, sometimes it just feels so bleak. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely feels kind of bleak to me sometimes too, but it's, I think it, it was an important thing to me in the reporting was to find a few different people who, you know, have found ways to have experiences in their bodies that aren't, that aren't so bleak, you know, I think, well, I think, I think it's important to talk to people like that. Yeah. And, and I think you titled that chapter joy. Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, no, no pressure. We can go back and, and find out. But I mean, I, I just remember, and when I was reading it, I looked back and I was like, Oh joy, right. Like this is another thing that we have the right to feel in our bodies. And I, I just, mm-hmm. that small word f- felt very moving. Yeah. And also I found out this, I I had never thought about this before, but I talked to this aerobics historian who told me about how when aerobics started, you know, there's lots of problems with aerobics right from the beginning. But at that time, women really hadn't been like encouraged or allowed to exercise. Like it was seen as super masculine. It was seen as kind of suspect like you know gender and sexuality suspect if you were into into exercise Mm. in any way mostly women controlled their weight through diet i mean and so there was actually this kind of real liberation that i think is important to think about when you think about the beginning of aerobics where it's like all of a sudden there's this form for like middle class femme kind of conservative women to move their bodies around and Mm -hmm. that that must have as much as it must have felt all kinds of other ways it must have also felt kind of awesome you know like that they could like dance in their little mat thing with jazzercise you know instructors and that there was probably something about that that felt good even as it also was another mode of 
telling women how their body should look. Um, Heather, I want to just shift gears a little bit, although I do actually think this is connected. Um, I went back and read your horse girl piece that you wrote a few years ago. Um, I am a horse girl currently just kind of reconnecting with my horse woman side of things. And I was really moved by a lot of what you wrote because I, I hadn't really considered my relationship, my personal relationship to horses in this way. Um, but you're really exploring like why, what is it that draws girls specifically to riding horses? And I just, I, I wanted to note that I just loved your piece, but also just to kind of get your perspective as a, as a former saddle club book series reader yourself. Um, where do you stand as a horse girl? What do you, what, Oh man! how have I know? And this could be a whole other podcast I realize, but if, if, um, if you have one kind of thought horse girl thought, I would love to hear it. I mean, no, I love that you read that. Cause actually it totally does relate to what we were just talking about. I think, um, I mean, I think what was going on for me and what felt really like when I started to research what other people think about horse girls, I feel like there's a kind of like a real um, embodied liberation in riding a horse when you're at an age that, or, you know, so I was like probably what, 10, 11, 12, like just before puberty really hits hard. Um, although I started my period when I was like 10, so I guess it had hit, but um, that, you know, that there's like a, a way your body is getting constricted or that you're starting to feel all these messages from the outside world that your body needs to look a certain way and behave a certain way. And then when you're riding a horse, there's just this like real, like freedom feeling, or at least there was for me. And, and it's not, I think that there's a way that it, it felt like both gender allowed, like that horses are a realm of, for girls and also kind of like gender bendy a little bit because it also felt really like um a kind of bodily liberation that I think at the time felt like it was it had markers of like what I understood was allowed for boys but maybe not totally allowed for girls and I think the other thing is like there's that moment that's like that moment in our lives or at least it was for me of like a little bit of like loss of innocence where your body goes from being this thing that's just to like to do work, you know, to like run and jump and ride your bike and then to turning into this thing that's like, you know, will eventually become sexualized and sort of like told how to Mm. be correct. But then this is like, I think for me, that was this moment of kind of middleness where I could, you know, I I was feeling the way that it was going to go, but like, it was kind of this like last gasp of like, what else can this, this little girl body do and how can it feel free? Well, I loved it. We'll include a link to that as well, but. Um, oh yeah. And I'm so, it's kind of like, I ha- I don't have any, I don't have any horses in my life, but I have like thought about getting back into it a little bit in the post pandemic because I can see how like, actually at this point in my life, when I care, like, I just sort of like, don't care about any of that stuff anymore. I'm like, yeah, like get the horses back. <laughs> yep. That's where I'm, that is exactly where I'm at. So, uh, I can, uh, anytime you want to talk about it, I will encourage you to ha- get literally get back on the horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Heather, it's been so much fun to talk to you. Thank you for coming on and talking to us about all about butts. Um, your book, butts, a backstory is available now, wherever anybody wants to buy books, support your local independent booksellers, please. Uh, 
Is there anything else uh, that you want to share in terms of where listeners can find you and find your work? Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I, yeah, read the horse girl piece. It was, it's one of my faves and um, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. Dory, I, I'm so glad listeners put this book on our radar. Yes. It's such an interesting read. And I realized we didn't ask Heather at all how she takes care of her butt. And that was maybe a missed opportunity. Oh my gosh. Um, but that's okay. I'm I'm more interested in considering the butt on this kind of culturally significant level than, you know, just worrying mm-hmm. about butt mm-hmm. acne today. Yeah, you're right, though. We should have asked. We should have asked. We can send a follow-up question. I really enjoyed talking to Heather. Her book, her yeah. book, like, like, tied together a lot of butt threads, if you will. Yeah. And I appreciate like even now, you know, one of the things we talk about with her that is coming up for me right now is like how still silly it feels to say the word butt and how there's still no good, like, quote unquote, serious way to talk about butts. Even now, like every time I say Mm -hmm. butt, it makes me want to laugh. Like it's just such a strange, weird figure of speech. I don't know. I, I, I think her book is such a great read. If you haven't, if you haven't picked it up, definitely go take it out from the library or give it a buy. So good. Oh boy. Moving on from butts Mm. for now, Dory. Uh, Let's check in with our intentions as we get into this new year. Okay, let's do it. Talk to me about where you are at right now vis-a-vis the new year. All right. So new year, new intention. However, my intention for this week is to not get sucked into the new year, new me, bullshit narrative that is everywhere. Mm. Two things really cause me to spiral around this time of year. One is the year-end wrap-ups. The like the shared wrap-ups of like look what I did, look what I read or this was the year, even the videos mm-hmm. of like very mm-hmm. quick mm-hmm. interstitial clips of adventures. Those cause me to have a bit of like it's not FOMO, but it's like fear of not being good enough. Mm. Fo N G Fongo Fongbago. Anyway, so I have that. So I'm trying to avoid that. And then the other thing is just like the constant, relentless marketing of just like new year, new you. Like and it that can mean anything. It's like buy all these new things or change your body or change your habits or all this stuff. And I, I just am like, nope, nope. January is just another month. It's just a month that follows December. I am not going because that's just for me. I know this isn't the case for everybody, but for me, it tends to just set me up for failure. And I'm not doing that to myself this year, if I can help it. Uh, So just trying to keep my like noise canceling headphones on as I get through the month of January and not get sucked into that stuff. Yeah. How about you? How are you starting off the new year? Well, I hear you. Okay. On like not wanting to get sucked into new year, new me bullshit, because I do think it is bullshit and like is sort of stealthily designed to make you feel bad about old year, old you. Mm, yeah. Old year, old you. Yes. Good. good you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time, though, Kate, and I feel like I've like alluded to this a little bit um, already on the pod. Like, I do feel like I need some kind of reset mm. and I don't really know what that entails or what it 
looks like, but I'm, I'm just like feeling a little off and I, I don't know. So maybe I am looking for some like new year, new me bullshit. I don't know. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So you're open to reset suggestions, like this, maybe something like I do this every year. That's kind of marks the the launch of the new year, or kind of gives me a chance to recalibrate. Mm. No, not so much that. I don't know. I need like I- I'm feeling. I think I'm feeling a little like stagnant. Yeah. And so I just I don't know what I don't know. I'm I'm having like more of like an existential issue, not like I'm going to start meditating for five minutes a day, even though that would right. probably help. You know what I mean? Well, I I do know what you mean. And I also think that the things that you and I both shared can actually go hand in hand. Like I don't think they're um, opposites necessarily. Okay. It sounds, I'm listening. Well, it sounds, like, it sounds like the reset that you're seeking. I think what I'm saying is that I'm trying to kind of protect myself from external pressures. And it sounds to me like the reset that you're seeking is kind of an internal reset of sorts. Mm-hmm. You're doing mm-hmm. self-reflecting. So I actually mm-hmm. think that our intentions are kind of similar. Okay. I'm I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Well, happy to be here in this new year. Like with you. Same. Same. Let us know how you're starting your new year, whether it whether it's similar to what we're doing or not. Uh, let us know. And of course, a friendly reminder that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Schaffrer and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. Happy New Year. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs>